All right, so open your, there should be some Bibles around if you guys want to grab one or slide open your phone. We're in Matthew 1 and 2 today. Um, I hope you guys had a good Christmas uh, and got all the gifts that you wanted. Uh, Today is about a gift that we receive, peace. Only what we find is that the peace that is a gift also comes with a war. And that's what we're talking about today. Uh, we are finishing up our Christmas trilogy, and today's sermon is called Herod vs. the Child. And we're going to be in Matthew 1 and 2. And what we find in so the Gospel of Luke, he tells the story of the shepherds and all this stuff happening. But when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew basically is like, look, this child is born. And then he immediately turns to Herod and tells of a war that has begun and some very tragic things that follow the birth of this child. There's there's a great disturbance that is caused when he is born, and it disrupts the natural order of things, and it's like there's a waterfall of all these events and all these things taking place. So, So look, here's what starts happening. This child comes. Prophecy after prophecy is fulfilled. Then we see these, these magi, these people from Persia, these people who are meant to appoint kings, they show up in a land that is not their own, and they begin. They walk straight up to the throne room of the current king, and they basically say, hey, where's the real king? You aren't the real one. We're looking for the real one so we can worship him. So that's a pretty big event. And then we see this claim of a virgin birth, which, I mean, what do we do with that? Then we see God speaking to people through dreams. Fifth, the stars have literally aligned. Everything is falling into place with this child. I mean, there is an event happening, and then something tragic happens. There's the beginning of a war between this child and every other earthly king in power. And we see that there has to be peace before there's war. And there's so much here that it absolutely demands our attention. And so we have two options when we look at this story about this child. Either we search deep within ourselves and we see this, there's something written inside of me that longs for this story to be true, and then we decide that we're going to hope. Or we say, well, this just must be some cleverly devised myth that's been made up. And i got to tell you this, before we get started in our verses, there's something that you need to know. I mean, the question is, why are there so many myths that have been told? Why are there so many religions in the world? And actually, the Bible gives us an answer. It's it's a pretty fascinating answer. Basically, the Bible claims is that there are what you could call fallen angels who have been whispering in the hearts of man, telling us, Lies. Now, here's what's going on. We long for this, for a story to be true like this. And as soon as we hear some whispers, we just jump onto any story as long as it somewhat resembles this story. So, look, the Bible talks about this. Deuteronomy 32 17 talks about they sacrificed to demons that were no gods. Well, that's weird. And then, even in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10.20 talks about these sacrifices that were to demons and not to gods. basically says the same thing again. Uh, in other words, there's something happening behind the scenes that we don't really understand. There's something behind the veil. And so we have that. And then we have 
what we see from Romans 1, that there is a longing within us that's been put in us by God to long for the Christian story. But we often suppress that story for other stories that maybe keep us in charge as kings. So, bottom line, there is a war that's happening behind the scenes and we cannot see it. And one side wants you to exchange the truth of Christianity for a lie and the other side is screaming at you. This story is true. So allow yourself to hope and be swept up into it. So let's read it. Matthew 1, verses 22 through 25, and then I'm jumping to chapter 2. So Matthew 1, 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And then Herod, it's like going back in time, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. I mean, this is a big deal. Like, there is a king called Herod the Great who is terrified of this little child, so terrified that he decides that he's going to have all the children in Bethlehem murdered so he could try to do away with this child. He is threatened. So what I want to talk, just walk through real quickly is why this child is such a big deal to everyone in this surrounding area. So first, the dreams. What are we going to do with these dreams? Usually we just kind of pass by them. I mean, if you read the Bible and you're like me, you read them and you're like, I don't know what to do with that, and so you move just right past it. And throughout the Bible, though, there are, there's dreams that are always coming up. At the end of Genesis, we see dreams being interpreted in Daniel, the book of Daniel, and then we see here in Matthew, the beginning of Matthew, we see dreams. And, and so for the last two months, I've been studying dreams, actually, like what psychologists have been saying about dreams, and it's pretty fascinating. And so what I want to do is to give you just a quick summary and then offer in a Christian perspective on top of it. So essentially, what psychologists will say, certain ones, is that dreams are like a, um, what's it called? A simulator. It's like you're trying to figure the things out in life that, you, that are just too complex for you to make sense of. And so what's happening is there's a story in all of humanity that we long to be true. This is what a psychologist says. And as we long for that story to be true, we want to believe it's true, and then we look at all the world that's happening around us, and we try to bring the two stories together, weave them together in order to make sense of the world around us. So they're like, it's us trying to make sense of the world. Now, let me just say it this way, because it's going to make, it, make a lot more sense and bring it down to earth. Look at Joseph. So... His wife, well, future wife, Mary, says, 
hey, Joe, I got to talk to you about something. Go ahead and take a seat. It's kind of a big deal. So he sits down and she says, so an angel appeared to me and apparently I've become impregnated by the Holy Spirit and the Son of God is in my belly now. And so Joseph's like, okay, I think my, my future wife is becoming a little bit crazy. I got to figure out what to do here. And so as he's trying to figure it out, a few months go by and then there's a little bump on her belly. And it's not from Christmas cookies, so he realizes, okay, my future wife is having an affair, and she's, be, she's got knocked up. So he says, i got to figure out what to do about this. And so because he's a good guy, he makes this plan that he is going to leave her quietly so that basically she is not, her life is not ruined. And as he's planning to do this, he has a dream. And in the dream, it is revealed to him that this is true. So, what's just happened? Well, psychologists would say, well, probably what's happened is Joseph's been reading the Bible, and he's been seeing all of these things that have been pointing forward to this coming Christ. Things feel a little bit different right now, like there's something in the air. And then along with that, my future wife has just told me this thing, and so his dreams are kind of like trying to make sense of it. And that's what a psychologist might say. And, and perhaps God could be working in that. Or perhaps this is really just like a miracle and God is just like revealing himself through a dream. But he could do it the other way in a more natural way. Either one would be fine, I suppose. So that's one dream. Then we have this other dream where now Jesus has been born and Joseph has a dream where God says, leave and go to Egypt. Now what's going on with this dream? Well, so the child's been born. And before the child is born, there's these wise men or these magi, and they come up to the throne room of Herod, and they tell Herod, hey, the real king is here, the real king of the Jews, the real king of kings. Now, Herod is an evil guy. And so Joseph's probably, everybody knows this. I mean, Herod's done some horrible things to his people. So Joseph's watching Herod, watching the situation, and he's thinking about what to do, and so he dreams, and then his dream is like a simulator that makes sense of all this, or this is just God revealing himself through a dream. We don't know what's happening here. I mean, we don't understand this, but what we do know is God is up to something, and here's how we need to respond to this. God has deposited into every single human being a longing for this story. The Bible's been talking about this story. And if it's true, it's got to happen at some point. And it's here. And for whatever reason, it's Joseph. And Joseph finds himself swept up into the story. And when you read this story and you hear about the dreams and all these things that are happening, you could say, wait, I need to be logical about this. I need to be rational about this. And you could tell yourself, God can't come into the world. This is just not something that he does. And what you would be doing is suppressing a truth that you know deep down within you to be true, but you're turning it off. Christmas time is a time where you are being challenged to believe in the things that you can't see. And the reason that you believe is not because you're irrational, not because you're just turning off reality, but because there's something within you that knows it's true. So you have to allow this cosmic truth that's been wired into you to breathe a bit. 
and take hold of the story. And the only way to make sense of it is not to look at it with your eyes, but to look at it with the eyes of your soul. And if you do, you'll give the story a chance to start out. It'll be a hope that grows and grows and grows until you believe. But if you don't open the eyes of your soul, you're going to dismiss these dreams, you're going to dismiss what's next, these prophecies. So each dream that Joseph has causes, and there's multiple dreams that we didn't even read, causes him to move and take Jesus and Mary somewhere else. And each place he takes Jesus, it's, it's, it becomes a fulfillment of a prophecy. Now, there's so many connections. If you read the Old Testament, look forward to Christ, there's too many connections for this to be made up. So what, what happens to me is when my faith starts feeling a bit shaky, the best thing for me to do is I jump right into the Old Testament and I just begin reading all of the ways that the Old Testament has been pointing forward to this child that is to come. And when I see it, I say, there's just too much here. And it re, it just, my faith feels refreshed all over again. So if you have a hard time believing in some of this stuff, I just want to tell you this. You could take two people, both logical, both scientific, both rational, both philosophical, both good thinkers, and you can say, one believes and one doesn't. Why is that? Because this is not about thinking. Or not thinking. It's about opening up the eyes of your soul and learning to see something, see truth in a different kind of way. Not with your eyes, not with your ears, but the thing that's deep within you that longs for it to be true. And once you do that, once you open up the eyes of your soul, you begin thinking in a whole new way. It informs your thinking. And then that brings us to the miracle of all miracles. That informs how all the ways we think. It's just a new way of looking at the world, looking at the world around you. So when I say the miracle, I mean the top miracle, the best one, the one that all other miracles flow from, God coming in, opening up the heavens and coming down. So the way to think about this is that God has set up a natural order of the way things work. But sometimes... There are disturbances in the natural order. And it's not so much a violation of nature, it's a result of what happens when God puts his hands into nature. There's a scientific explanation for the virgin birth. We just don't have the tools to measure it. How could we? The, the, go back. Think about the stars all lining up when Jesus is, is born. There could be a very clear scientific explanation. We know, we understand what's going on out there in space a little bit more now. Well, for them at the time, it might have been seen as a huge miracle. For us, we have determined that e this is either a conjunction of two planets, Jupiter or Saturn. There was a recorded supernova at the time, which was an explosion of a star that was around for 70 days. There's a lot of stuff it could have been that we could have an explanation for. But for them, it seemed <coughs> miraculous. Now, I say that to say that there will come a day when we are with God fully. And we'll look at what we think of as miracles now, but what we're going to be able to see is we're going to see the very hand of God simply flicking a particle or an atom. <coughs> and it causes a chain reaction 
what our eyes would call a miracle, but what actually is just the hand of God getting involved. But you won't believe this if you keep suppressing the story. <coughs> but if you do believe, there's going to come a time where it's going to be very hard for you to believe. And it's going to be hard for you to believe because at some point, there's going to be a, a pain in your life, maybe a war that starts happening, and the pain or this wartime living makes you question everything. Why is there pain in war before peace? Because the world rejects the truth that's been written into their hearts. And so instead of worshiping Jesus, we kill him. And this is exactly what Herod does. He has all baby boys under the age of two murdered, killed. Oh, you're bringing me water? Wow. That's very sweet of you. Thank you. You have a nice jacket too. <clears throat> okay, so Herod goes to war with this kid. He issues an order that all baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem, another water. Wow, you guys are all so sweet to me. But this is really actually tragic. You guys keep laughing, but I just keep saying that two baby boys have been murdered and you guys keep laughing. What is wrong with you? So Herod issues this order because he is threatened by this child. And it's estimated by the population at that time in Bethlehem, it's it's likely that between 15 and 20 little baby boys were killed. I mean, this was a small town, and it would have been tragic to, to have experienced all of this. I mean, it would have been, well, you know what it would have been. So what's going on? Well, when the true king comes and threatens the throne of all earthly kings and powers, those earthly kings and powers start going to war with him. So remember, it said Herod was greatly troubled, and the rest of Jerusalem was troubled. Now, why is Jerusalem troubled because of, Her because of Herod and his news of this coming trial? Well, Herod was not a good guy, and Jerusalem knew what was about to happen, or they could, they could maybe think of it, because here's what Herod has done. He's had three of his own kids murdered because he felt they were a threat to his throne. He's had, he had his favorite wife murdered because he felt that there was some conspiracy happening and someone was trying to take his throne. His mother-in-law murders her, and the list just keeps going on and on. He was worried that at the day of his death there wouldn't be enough weeping, and so he put out an order that on the day of his death all important people would be killed so at least there would be some weeping on the day of his death. And thankfully that order wasn't carried out. So what was the kernel that made him so evil? He tried to hold on to a throne that was not his own. He wasn't Hebrew, he was an Edomite. And the throne belonged to the line of David. Jesus is from the line of David. And Jesus was a threat. Everything was adding up about this child being born Everything was pointing, this is the one who is to come, this is the king. Everything is pointing to him, and Herod felt the threat, and he did not want to lose his throne. And, you know, 
Herod is called Herod the Great because he did a great job keeping peace to all the, against all the surrounding nations. But in order for him to keep the peace with all these surrounding nations, he had to have a strong grip of his throne. And in order to have that, he was essentially at war with the people that he was leading so that they would not try to take his throne. And that was the reason he was able to hold off all of these nations. He knew and he felt like he was doing the right thing. By keeping a strong throne, it kept the peace. Only what he didn't understand is that he had to go to war with his own people in order to keep that peace. So he killed his own people instead of killing the people who would have been after him. They were outsiders. And this is where we are all in a bit of danger. Because Jesus claims not to be just the king of kings, but our own personal king. And while our soul longs for him, at the same time there is a corruption in us, and there is a curse, and there, while we want him, at the same time we don't want him on the throne of our hearts. Because that means that he's in control now, and we don't want that. And so there's a battle taking place, and while we look at this physical battle that's happening between Herod and the child, that physical battle is meant to represent a spiritual battle that is taking place within every single one of us. We're desperate to remain the king of our life. And it will cause you to do what you think to be the right thing, but it will actually be, it'll actually be evil. And you'll have no idea you're doing it. Because you think the right thing to do is for you to stay in control, for you to stay the king. And so anything that threatens that looks like a bad thing. Herod thought he was doing the right thing in protecting his throne. And we'll do the same thing, but in the end, we'll give in to an evil that we have no idea is even evil. And we're going to end up making war with the wrong people, and we're going to end up making war with the wrong king, him, the child. Because you're going to see that if you want peace, you have to go to war with someone or something. And you'll pick the wrong thing. He is the right king because he knows what to go to war against. Christmas time is the beginning of the war. The climax of the war happens upon the cross. Where Jesus goes up against sin and death. And he goes to war against sin and death in order to bring peace. And he wins against sin and death in order to bring peace. And he goes to war with eternal death in order to bring eternal life for you to bring peace. So at some point, and we all do it, we've just got to say, I'm going to stop fighting against you. And I'm going to crown you as my king. And we got to realize the story that we are in and crown him and then join him in this battle against sin and death and all that is wrong with the world. And fight like mad against suffering and pain and hurt and hate and fight for love and joy and love. And I said that twice. And peace. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would awaken in us 
this story that you have already wired into our hearts and our minds. You've already readied the fire, so just light the flame so that it will spark, and this spark within us will will ignite a fire within us to believe the story to be true. Help us hope, help us believe, and help us fight for what we should be fighting for and against. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.